0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Golf Monthly podcast, the inaugural podcast, Uh, and I'm joined here by Golf Monthly editor Michael Harris. Mike? Hello, Neil. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. (laughs) My pleasure. And uh, Nick Bonfield, also from Golf Monthly. Nick, how are you?
1: Very well, thanks.
0: Good. And we are here at the start of the European Tours final series. So Victor Dubuisant just won uh, in Turkey, bagged himself just over a million euros in the process, Um, and it was a very... Emotional win for the Frenchman. Nick, why do you think he was, I don't think I've ever seen anyone quite so um, uh, choked up at the end of a win. Why was he so emotional at the end of that one?
1: Well, I think he he said it best himself uh, in his victory speech that he basically suffered a crisis of confidence this year, and that's been to do with putting somewhat, but also we understand there are some issues going on in his private life now. He's obviously notoriously private. I spent some time with him probably about 18 months ago and he referred to someone as like a father figure to him but that's as close as i got to understanding anything about his past he's notoriously shy but he's also a very caring nice sensitive bloke and it was a huge win for him he hadn't won for two years The victory in 2013 was only his first one and after the heights of the Ryder cup he's then had the lows of this year and you do start to wonder if you're ever going to be able to hit those heights again so obviously he proved a lot to himself that week and he's a very popular winner too
0: and Mike. My- Nick just touched on it. He is a popular winner. But why is he a popular winner? He's In our sport, I guess he's he's one of the few, one of the the special ones that seems to be capable of doing quite remarkable things on the golf course.
2: Yeah, I certainly I think Victor Dubison is a very likeable character. Um, there seems to be something about him, uh, as Nick said. Um, and obviously Nick interviewed him, um, say, about 18 months ago. He's, um, he's an interesting character. And I think that... Um, in a world of identikit sports people and probably a lot of identikit golfers, is quite refreshing for um, whether it's his sort of D'Artagnan beard, uh, wears a visor, um, very French in the way he does everything. Uh, but on the golf course, he plays some really exciting golf. He gets himself in some very interesting spots. I think um, in the final round, when he um, hit it into the trees, um, on the 10th hole, I think it was, um, most people would have been um, thinking i 'm trying not to hit and one of the trees in front of me. He managed to get it through the trees onto the green uh, had obviously worked out where all the slopes were, uh, fed it back to the pin and and made you know went down on his uh card as a par, but uh, one of the more exciting pars that'll be made on tour this season um, great um chip in as well from Eagle one the par fives really really got him some momentum. But if you think back to when, um, you know, one of the sort of tournaments that I think most fondly about Dubison was a world match play uh, last year when he seemed to be getting up and down from cactus bushes. I guess he evokes some sort of memories of Seve. Um, we all like to see attacking golf and, of course, when attacking golf doesn't quite go right, uh, you put yourself in some difficult spots. Your ability to get out of trouble I think is one of the really exciting things about Professional golf and uh, arguably there's nobody more exciting about getting himself out of trouble than Dubasar. In indeed, and, and he he was really struggling with his game because he was he went over to
0: the US at the start of the year, struggled over there, didn't make many cuts, um came 190th on their FedEx cup list, came back to the to Europe to try and rediscover his game. Um how did he manage to do that, Nick? I mean what why do you think players can go over to the US tour and struggle so badly in comparison to how they get on with on the because at the end of the day 18 holes golf is 18 holes golf it doesn't really matter whether you're doing it in the US or in Europe many of the modern day golf courses are similar it's not as if the golf courses are drastically difficult different why did he struggle so much in the US?
1: I think for a start it's a cultural shift you have to remember he's a young man still and I think it's very much the fashionable choice nowadays is to go over to America when you've had frankly limited success by other great European players standards do you just want to played one Ryder Cup, won once, decided to go to America, probably because that's the done thing nowadays. And obviously there are vast riches over there, a lot of world ranking points because a lot of the top players are from over there. So
0: are the fields too tough? uh,
1: I think it's a combination of factors. And I think we've seen it a lot over the years, but the likes of Keimer withstood the appeal of the American Tour for a while. And I think a lot of people could learn from his example. Um, It's so useful getting three, four years of European Tour experience under your belt first playing all these different courses around the world and then perhaps you're in a better position mentally you've got a more honed skill set in order to then go out and take on the Americans because it's completely different culturally the crowds are so different in Dubieson's case it's not his first language he's moving around a lot he perhaps misses home and these are all factors that contribute to pretty lackluster showing however this now means that he's going to be playing full time on the European Tour next season and I think that's going to be good for him
0: and good for us I think he's he's now 7th on the, the race to Dubai list for uh, for this year So kind of coming out of nowhere and, and doing so well It's put him on the map But leading the way um, We have Mr McElroy, And he really was the big story of the week um, Aside from Victor um, Mike Why do you think Roy put a new driver into play this week Which I was quite surprised at Given that, that seems, that's always his strongest suit He drives the ball so well It's such an important part of the year um, What do you think of his uh, decision To put a new driver in the bag Did it work?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think it did. Uh, As you say, if anybody can put a new driver into play heading into an important week, it's McElroy. He is a fantastic driver off the golf ball, both uh, in terms of his length, but also in terms of his accuracy as well. Um, It's interesting. I always find this time of year really interesting when it comes to uh, if you're really into equipment, because you will spot the eagle-eyed amongst you will spot on TV some of the um, top tour players putting new product into play that will um, only go on the market to uh, regular golfers like ourselves uh, in early 2016 so these are you know these are prototypes you also need to remember that these guys will have been testing these prototypes working with um, you know sort of technical experts from the various brands that they work with to to get these clubs absolutely dialed in and nobody will be putting into play uh, a driver or a set of irons that they didn't feel were Outperforming what they had in previously, so um, yeah, interesting to see Rory put the put this new Nike driver in. But I haven't actually seen the driver yet in the flesh. Look forward to uh, getting a uh, getting a sample uh, and feel. And for all those
0: people out there that will be thinking that's not a Nike driver, it's something else. You can confirm he is actually, he's def- 100% using Nike products. He's not using something dressed up as something else.
2: Most most definitely. I don't think anybody on tour is doing that. I think that may have happened, you know, 15, 20 years ago when you could um, change the stamping on the back of a blade. But um, believe you me, these days, everybody's um, using what the uh, what the club is. Maybe not necessarily uh, on the head cover, but definitely underneath the head cover. If somebody's got a Nike driver in play... It's a Nike driver. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. Good to see Rory um, back. Um, I think the sport really missed him um, when he was uh, recovering from his injury. Real shame he didn't play at the Open. So really good to have him back. Uh, I'm sure um, Rory will have been gutted to have missed the Open. Uh, And there's a lot of talk about whether, you know, a guy like him should be playing football with his mates. Uh, I, I think that's really harsh to criticise him. I think it's one of the things that makes Rory an ordinary bloke, um, if you can be a multi-multi-millionaire ordinary bloke uh, that people can relate to because, you know, he does, he loves his sport. Um, great to see him cheering on Northern Ireland in the football, Ireland in the rugby, uh, and then, you know, part past of that is having a kickabout with your mates. Um, but while he was away, you know, allowed others uh, a bit more of the limelight, but good to see him back. Uh, I think he probably would have expected to have won uh, in Turkey, having been at such a strong position after 36 holes, hadn't made a bogey, of course, up until that point. Uh, and it looked like in the final round he might get it going, but lost a bit of momentum around the turn. The other guys, Dubusson, uh, Afbarmrat, and Yako uh, uh, Van Ziel, uh, really took up the reins there uh, and they pulled away from him. But I expect Rory to do well um, between now and the end of the season, He's got a great record. Uh, in a WGC uh, event. And, of course, uh, DP World, uh, I think he's very rarely finished outside of the top five in that. So, yeah, I expect to have a strong finish to the season for him. Yeah,
0: and he looks good. And, Nick, I thought it was quite a re- revealing thing. You know you're a, a World's top, top player when you look like you're playing not very well and still somehow leading the tournament, which after three rounds he pretty much was. And, and he's got that knack now, hasn't he, just of, of being able to get the ball round And, you know, his body language, I wouldn't have said, gave off a great deal of positivity, but he seemed to, you know, he seemed to be playing fairly averagely, but, you know, could have won it.
1: It's funny that we perceive him to have played average golf, and yet I think he ranked third in driving distance, seventh in driving accuracy, and eleventh in greens and regulation. Good stats. That's why we get you along for these days. Something like that. (laughs) Uh, And yet we're still sitting here discussing the fact that he was nowhere near his best. And it all all comes down to the putt for Roy, doesn't it? I think he was 55th in putting, so if you finish 20th, you win the tournament. And that's what's been holding him back, really, for the last couple of months. But as soon as that clicks, ah, you can see him heading quite quickly back to the top of the world again. Yeah. But the fact that he was out for, the, for those high-profile events this summer has whetted the appetite somewhat for the uh, triumvirate of Spieth, McElroy and, and Dave to do battle next year. So we all look forward to that very much.
0: Indeed. And, and, and just, I think, one of the other talking points from this week is some of the players who look like they're struggling uh struggling to make certainly make um to buy the final event of the final series um in which you need to be in the top 60 and you've got three rider cuppers who look like potentially they might not be there so stephen gallagher he's in at the moment he's 57th but not playing great golf um graham mcdowell's just outside and thomas bjorn is quite a long way outside i think he's 87th in the list um Nick, a little perspective on you about why those players seem to be struggling when two years ago, at the same time two years ago, these were the players that were leading the European Tours order of merit.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think what it does show is that confidence can start to disappear fairly quickly when results are going against. You. I think that's what's happened to McDowell. And he's been trying to marry playing on two tours with various commercial pursuits and it does take its toll eventually, uh, even for the best in the world. However, he's shown signs, it's been a semblance of form since he's returned to the European tour it's been good to see him playing some of the events that perhaps on the other high profile European tour guys haven't been playing this summer um, but it is concerning Finn him he's played 18 events and he's as you say fairly far down the list and then someone like Louis Hustle has played 10 and he's second so it really does show you how dramatically his form has declined recently yeah with regards to Steven Gallagher I think there's probably some element of Ryder Cup come down in there somewhere that probably knocked his confidence in a yeah, bit I'm the agree, only yeah. one to not record a point in your homeland when you done so well to get there in the first place. And Bjorn, I think, obviously, there are peaks and troughs to every professional golfer's life. But when you get towards the, the end stages of your career, uh, probably the troughs are more prominent. And I'm sure there will be one or two last hurrahs for Bjorn. But I think it's probably the, the start of the decline now.
0: Ryder right, Cup days finished for him, do you think? Oh, playing days, anyway?
1: Playing days, certainly. Uh, well, certainly. Obviously, that's a silly comment to make in the world of golf. But I'd be surprised if he made another team, yeah.
0: And it wasn't just Turkey. That was on the list this week. There was also an event in in Malaysia. Now, Mike, I know that you set the alarm for three o'clock in the morning to catch up with everything that was going on in Malaysia. Um, Justin Thomas was the winner, um, and another kind of big young player that's come through on the US tour. And um, what was your take on, on on his win
2: over there? I think it was really interesting to see, of course, a PGA Tour event in Malaysia, which is traditionally been one of the European tours. Favorite stop stop-offs with the Malaysian open see that comes much earlier in the season, but um, a canny move by the PGA Tour to get an event over in the Far east. Uh, I think it shows their strategy that uh, the world is not enough for them, um, you know certainly their dominance um, I think on you know tour versus tour. Um, for PGA Tour versus European Tour, something I know we might talk about later, but um, very interesting to see the event over there. Very strong field as well. You know, Garcia, Adam Scott, Henrik Stenson all playing. Um, but yeah, Justin Thomas um, won it by one with a um, 26 under par, just the 26 under par. So um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I think he's um, had a really good season. Um, I think it shows the strength in depth you know, there's strength and depth in the European Tour, but on the PGA Tour, I think there are a lot of really good young golfers coming through. We may not have it our own way in the Ryder Cup over the next decade, I must say, there's some some really strong young players coming through.
0: And, and why, Nick, why are these players able to come out on tour and win week? You know, I know that he's been on tour for a little bit longer, but there are there have been winners in the last few weeks for whom this is, this is the start of their PGA Tour career. Um, what What is it now about these players that, that means that they're capable of winning when they first step out?
1: I, I think a lot of it has to do with the collegiate system. Uh, some of the programmes in place there are quite frankly staggering and the amount of money that goes into training these college athletes. Uh, the college tour is so, so strong and some of these guys are as good as some of the players on the PGA Tour, it has to be said. So when they come out, they're primed, they're ready to go, they're confident in their own ability, they know they've beaten players who are good enough to be out on tour anyway, so there's no mindset issue. And also the strength of the web.com tour is is growing as well. Because there are so many good players coming through, that naturally is going to force some down to the web.com. So that is a very competitive ground nowadays. So when they come up from that, they're also ready the likes of Tony Finau showing that last year. So it's looking very good in Uh, America at the moment.
0: And and very briefly... um As Mike said, the Malaysia was won by a score of minus 26, which is low in anyone's language. Uh, Victor Dubison won with, I think he was 22 under par. Do we like to see um, players ripping up golf courses like this or would we prefer, you know, the winning score to be around about the five or six under par mark? What what would be the the
2: preference? I like to see, we're in an entertainment business in professional golf. I like to see players making birdies. Uh, I wouldn't want it every week, uh, and I think there's always a place for your tough tournaments, U.S. Opens, uh, events like that where you know a score round par is um, you know is going to get you there or thereabouts. But 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 I think week in week out, um, top players making playing well, making a lot of birdies, making a lot of eagles is good. It's more interesting to watch on TV than somebody trying to hack it out of. Um, you know, sort of ankle high or, you know, knee high, um, heavy rough, um, you know, sort of being scared to, you know, sort of putt on ultra slick greens with pins in tricked-up positions just there to try and defend this notion of par. I think the winning score is the winning score, uh, and what what that is in relation to par is a little bit irrelevant, but I do think in these days, this day and age, when golf is trying to appeal to, uh, you know, as many people as it can, we want to be entertaining people who tune in to watch golf or to go to events. They want to see some exciting play. So, yeah, I don't want to see people on for 59s uh, on a weekly basis. But I don't think that you know low scoring is you, you know sort of undermining the uh, the game at all. The, the, these the, these guys are incredible golfers. Um, you know they, they will they, they will go low given the opportunity, and I think that. You know, we should remember it's say it's an entertainment business.
1: And I think ultimately as well there's room for, for tournaments where Par is a good guy and I love the US Open. It's a discussion we have quite a lot in the office. I love seeing them toil on one week but then I love seeing them going out and shooting 26 under. It's certainly more captivating waking up and looking at your phone and seeing someone 11 under through 15 than it is to see someone level Par through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love I love both, and there is room for both. Is the point here? Um, uh-huh. Majors should be a, more of a challenge, I feel, but there's absolutely no harm in setting up golf courses for birdies in a whole host of other events.
2: And I think what it does do is, and this maybe is a is a topic for another podcast. Is it? It opens up the idea of having different, you know, varying the format from. 72-hole stroke play week in, week out. I know we have a few match play events, but um, let's look to shake it up a bit. We've talked at Golf Monthly for, for a long time about this. Let's bring in some variation to um, to the um, formats used on tour. I'm not suggesting that uh, we start having Greenstones tournaments or yellow ball bring and win, um, but certainly <laughs> I think there is the opportunity to bring in some different formats, again, that reward uh, attacking golf make it a real TV spectacle, make it really exciting for crowds that turn up to events. Uh, and again, I think that can only help grow the appeal of the game to a broader audience.
0: Well, let's let's move on and talk about the health of the respective tours, because Mike, you've just touched on it there. We, we feel like we need to be producing a product that, it, or I say we, um, it feels like golf needs a flagship product that really ca- captivates people, that really engages people at every level. Um, and this week on, and the last few weeks, we've, we've seen some interesting comments about the European Tour from some of their big players. It, it all started with Rory at the British Masters, I think, commenting on the fact that he had considered giving up his membership of the European Tour, which was a... You know, Rory's very candid and he was asked a question, he gave an answer. In retrospect, would he have said that if, he, you know, he thought it might cause the stir that it did? Probably he wouldn't because he's a very sensible guy. And did he really consider leaving the European Tour? I doubt it. But it just shows some of the problems or challenges the European Tour are facing. And then you throw in Paul Casey's heading over to the US, no, um, not going to be trying to take up a European Tour card. And so is Bru- Brooks Koepka. Um, Nick, what do you think that the health of the European tour is like at the moment. Is this something to be worried about or is this just one of those things that happens from time to time?
1: I don't think it's something to be overly concerned about. I think in retrospect, Rory would have been very, very uh, hypocritical to do to develop his card and he won't do that. Uh, it was, as you said, it's a momentary blip and he owes a lot to the European tour and he admits as much himself. Casey, uh, frankly,
0: well, hang on a second, Nick. I'm going to stop you there. He owes a lot to the European tour, but no player gives more back to the tour when they're playing than he does. Yeah,
1: of course. And that's why his comment is probably an oversight. And obviously, it was just a slip. But I mean,
0: but, but no, no player can run a truly world schedule where they're playing pretty much every week and play really well. He has to pick and choose. Of course and, he has to
1: pick and choose, but he's... Quite clearly, not going to give up his membership of the European Tour. If that happens, I will eat my hat. I know this is a podcast, so maybe we'll broadcast that one on YouTube so you can see me doing it. He will not give up his European Tour membership. I, I
2: think the pull of the Ryder Cup is, um, is too much for any player playing at the top of the game to, to miss out on the, you know, be it an American or European. That um, And, you know, P- Poulter has come out and, you know, Said just what a pull that is, and we all know how big a deal the Ryder Cup is for for Poulter. But I think it would be the same for McIlroy. I can't foresee um, McIlroy giving up the opportunity to play the Ryder Cup. So yeah, you know, probably as you said, Neil. You know, he does give very candid answers. Some of them perhaps are, you know, maybe if he'd have stopped himself and you know thought about it. Um, he would have come, probably come out with a different answer to that. But,
0: but, but is, he, is he maybe putting pressure on the European Tour to try and come up with a product that is maybe... I, I'm just, This is just conjecture on my part, but is he trying to put pressure on the Tour to come up with a product that is as engaging as possible? And is that, some, is that a challenge for the European... Are the European Tours struggling in comparison to the US Tour at the moment?
2: I think the PGA Tour has been, and probably always will be, a stronger Tour terms of the when you look at world ranking points, I know it's, it then becomes a little bit self fulfilling but the better players tend to play more events on the pga tour it 's more set up for them quite frankly you know flying from one side of America to another practicing in year round sunshine that 's more uh, appealing than having to jet from one week in Europe to another week uh, in china um, you know for, uh, and also then for for guys who are based in the uk having to practice in less than conducive conditions you know when it's coming in (laughs) sideways near there on the range Um, so so you can see the appeal of the pga tour more money to be earned over there of course however i do think the european tour uh has got a lot of good things going for it Um, and i think they should look to to really accentuate those events where they know that there's probably more focus on the European Tour than on the PGA Tour so start of the year uh, Middle East swing uh, BMW of course massive event um, For the European Tour Scottish Open where we've been getting guys like um, Ricky Fowler, Phil Mickelson Some of the other Americans come over to play Obviously it's a good warm up Before the Open Championship And then also now Final Series uh, We're now of course into the Slightly baffling into the 2016 series uh, season On the PGA Tour um, So that you know their sort of final uh, FedEx run-ins been and gone, so this is now a chance for all the best European Tour um, golfers um, to be showing what the European Tour is about with the uh, events in Turkey, China, and then of course DP World. So um, it's not, you know, it's not all doom and gloom for the European Tour, but I do think they, they will always battle to have the top players playing, you know. A lot of events on the european tour and you know maybe there's a little bit of ground to be given maybe the 13 events might come down to 12 as a, as a qualifying um number and you know that then of course with the number of world Golf championships majors count that actually probably would mean i think it's only five events playing on the european tour but let's make the most of those five events then that the guy's playing um you know, it, it's. I think Keith Pelley's got a got a tough job. I think he's set his stall out well. I think he, um, you know, wants to, you know, understands the challenges. Wants to make the tour as appealing to both the public uh, and the golfers who, who are playing on it. So, um, yeah, disappointing when um, somebody like Kupka, who's you know been, I think, really interesting to see him playing on the uh, on the US, um, you know, from the US playing on the European tour. Uh, shame to see him going back, but um, we shouldn't shouldn't least too much sleep over that.
1: Yeah, I just want to add on top of that, I really hope that, that Keith Pelley doesn't reduce the number of, of quoted events from 13 to 12. I think, frankly, if you can't play 13 events, then you don't deserve to be a member of the Tour, especially these top guys who already gain entrance to eight, four majors and four WGCs. That leaves five events. Uh, actually, the exception being next year that the Alstom Open to France runs up against the WGC Bridgestone and there will not be Race to Dubai points awarded. But that year, accepting you have to play five additional events. If you play two of the Desert Swing and then three of the final series, you've hit your quota. And I find this talk of potentially dropping it down to 12 quite startling, really, because how anyone cannot play those two events in January and three in the final series is beyond me, frankly, Um, especially as they don't really clash at the start of the year with anything significant on the PGA Tour. And as you say, the start of the 2016 season on the PGA Tour clashes with the final series so there aren't that many hugely high profile events over there at that time so (laughs) I really hope we don't see that figure drop but it'll be interesting to see if uh, Keith Pelly sees to these demands or not, demands is perhaps a bit strong but see what the result of these discussions will be Uh, hopefully it stays the same because I don't think it's an unreasonable amount of tournaments to have to play over the course of a season that has 48 or so events in
0: Okay well that's be that as it may, the European Tour has some great tournaments, and we just, I think, as a group, hope that the growth and the, and the appeal of the European Tour continues because um, we all want to see as
2: much exciting golf as possible. Yeah, and, definitely. Can, can I? I mean, I just want to chip in there with, um, you see, you know, it, it can happen. You can um, bring a new event or bring an old event back, as we did. Uh, as you saw with the British Masters, and I think that was a, an absolute success. it's A shame that Rory didn't play. Um, hopefully, he will play next year when um, the event moves to the Grove, which is another great venue. Should attract a really good field, um, and I think that you know th- those are the opportunities for the European Tour to, you know, work with the players. Obviously, you know, with the British Masters, Westwood, Donald, um, Poulter, uh, Justin Rose, you know. Get the guys on board. Get them feeling like, you know, they've got even more equity in it. That it's, you know, that they take on these roles as tournament hosts. And then, I think, you know, the, but more, you know, the, the, those guys playing will bring in additional players into the field as well. Um, so, so those I think are the opportunities for the European tour. So look at events. Look at tactical times to, um, you know, to get great fields together. Put on a really good event, and then that gives them a springboard to do even more in the following year.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The reality is, they have a certain number of events and certain times of the year that they can really work to try and promote these events. The the FedEx Cup series, that's cordoned off August and September. You're not going to go up against that. You can't match those riches. It's gone, frankly. So let's work on the start of the season, Desert Swing. Let's work on the British Masters and really, really pump these out to a mass audience because they are massive events in their own right. And as the crowd showed at Woburn the other day, they are. Popular.
0: They are indeed. They are indeed. And we're going to move on now to the final talking point from the weekend. And this is uh, off course. Um, Steve Williams has a book coming out uh, in New Zealand. And one of the New Zealand newspapers published a chapter from the book over the weekend, in which Steve Williams talks about the relationship with Tiger and some of the things that didn't go, go quite so well. Um, Firstly, why is it that people keep seeming to do this to Tiger? So Hank Haney did it. Now Steve Williams is doing it. Surely these people have enough money in their back pocket already. They don't necessarily need to hang Tiger out to dry. Or do they? Or is Tiger to blame for some of these things?
2: I think there's a little element of both of them having been shunned by Tiger. So this is probably the only way you're going to get back at him. Um, I think people... You know, they also want to tell their side of the story. I think we, as golf fans, uh, are probably interested to read about Tiger from people who were very close to him. Um, I do think, in the case of Steve Williams, he's always had quite a high opinion of himself, and has probably, um, you know, marks his um, time on the bag with with Tiger that his input into all Tiger's victories during that time. I think Steve Williams probably thinks he played a a bigger part than he actually did in those but no doubt about it they were obviously very close uh as a you know as a partnership however at the end of the day steve williams was a man who carried tiger's clubs um when tiger didn't hit a good shot tiger was liable to uh, toss his club to the side for steve williams to say he felt like a slave having to pick that up i think was a very inappropriate comment uh, one which i'm sure he will regret having put in the book um and yeah it's just um we're all fascinated with Tiger I think you know whether you're a Tiger fan or an admirer of what he's done the game I'm probably in the latter camp we're interested to read about him he's not you know he, he Tiger doesn't do a lot of uh interviews a lot of media that's very revealing so this is probably how you know we're bet we're most likely to get access is through um the people who are you know have been close to him and they want to know want to tell the story but it seems like Williams is um putting the boot in a little bit you know Tiger's Tiger's down on his luck as much as you can be down on your luck when you're a millionaire billionaire whatever he is but um you know I'd like to see Tiger back um challenging for one last hurrah I hope that happens um but yeah it'll be interesting to you know when um you know when we get to see see the book it will be interesting to to read it to see what insights come from Williams what like he can shine on that relationship and tell us more about Tiger the man, Tiger the golfer. Yes. And
0: so hang on a second, Nick. What, the question I was going to ask you is, golfer's caddy, right, professional golfer, his caddy, is that caddy a man who carries a bag and reads out yardages and tell you where the wind's coming from, or is he far more important than that? Is he somebody that is a, a sort of a mental game coach, an on-course strategist, somebody that's actually leading the player towards victory? or not? Where, where do you stand on that? I
1: think it varies on a case-by-case basis, and in the case of Woods and Williams, clearly he was more than Kelly. Um, having said that, I do feel that he's been quite disrespectful to his former employer, uh, not just in terms of the book, although it's important to note at this point that we haven't seen the entire book, so he could be glowing in praise of Tiger in other chapters, we just don't know. But based on what we've seen, I think he's been very disrespectful. I think he's probably violated the bond they had. I think. Uh, if we go back a couple of years, he calling his victory at the Bridgestone with Adam Scott the greatest of his career. He, uh, I believe, said something fairly inappropriate uh, with racial connotations at a Cali player dinner a couple of years ago. Yeah, and yeah. and Tiger's actually conducted himself very well and hasn't come out and done what many people would have done and countered that. So Tiger deserves credit here, and I must admit I've lost a bit of respect for Williams. Uh, and as Mike said, he has always seemed to have a rather inflated opinion of himself. But naturally, I suppose you would, uh, if you a Tiger Woods at well, the that's maybe one, what, not the most highest paid, highest paid sportsman in New
0: Zealand. Maybe that's what Tiger needed. Perhaps. Somebody that what did was able to kind of have a share sure. of the limelight and be able to handle it and be able to put up with it.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I mean, any person who comes on the Bag of Woods is going to assume more of a cali role. He's going to be a bodyguard as well, protector from the press, all these sorts of things. But uh, he acted inappropriately as far as I'm concerned. Um, Although the caveat to that is let's wait and see what the the whole book says.
0: Okay, well, there you have it. That is the first ever Golf Monthly podcast. We will be back next week to talk about what happens uh, at the BMW Masters in Shanghai. Uh, But for now, it's goodbye. Thank you for listening.